All right, we guys, you guys ready? Any other questions? What's a question? Uh, it's a it's a thing where you don't know stuff and then you say words and then you know stuff. <laughs> What's a word? <laughs> uh, it is a, a construction of sounds that mean things. What's a what's a construction? <laughs> Uh, it's it's a, it's another show made by Jim Henson about talking construction vehicles. Wait, did they make their own? Wait, they did. They did do like a spinoff of Fraggle Rock, yeah. didn't they? I didn't watch it because it was it, it was oh, entirely no, no, CGI, no. and it's like, why the fuck are you? No, making... Oh no, no, this is something. This is totally different. They made it. They made a show called Construction Site. It was like it was like Bob the Builder, but not stop motion. It was like remote controlled, like. Right, you stuff. see, William, you think I'm a bigger Jim Henson fan? This dude knows something I didn't. So there you go. I don't. I've never seen the show. I just. I know, but you yeah. know it, which means you know more than me, technically. <laughs> I, I what if Bob the Builder had a gun? <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. He would. He would. All right. That's our cue uh, to start. I. I need to start. Okay. Okay. Are we all? Yeah, recording? I've been recording. So. Yeah, he has okay, the audio of me that. saying, "What if Bob the Builder had a gun?" No, you that have. Won't be very. Good. You have the audio of that, right? You started recording. Yeah. All right. Great. Anyway. But then I'm gonna give you the audio, so then you'll have it. And then I'll have it. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to give you my audio. You have to guess it, and then re- I'll say all the lines again. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Hello and welcome to Too Many Movies, the podcast where we discuss DVDs, Blu-rays, and even the occasional VHS tape. I'm your host, Hal, and today I got William back here. William, say something funny. What if Jeriff had a gun? Very, very funny. Hey, I also got another person with me. Uh, John, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, what if Jen had a personality? Ooh, that's a good <laughs> Fuck, I didn't... <laughs> what if Jen's personality was that he was really into guns? That would be something. Uh... <laughs> Ratwing conspiracy Jen. Oh, taking this no. crystal to Skex's castle. Yes. I All right. I would like to not I... dedicate this crystal to my reformed rabbi, Bill Clinton. oh my god yeah okay hi i'm 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 a person i'm not that weird but i'm quite weird yeah so i I invited these two on today's episode because i got two very special movies i wanted to talk about today and i figured these two would be the best candidates for talking about said movies let's talk about the first one um the dark crystal i'm sure you've heard of it if you haven't i kind of like it Sort of, kind of. Uh, you know, it's it's fine. It's a fine movie. What are you ta- you're like its biggest fan. You love this movie. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. I want to ask William. William, what were your uh, what was your uh, thoughts on the Dark Crystal when you first watched it? Because I don't think this was your first time watching it, was it? It it wasn't my first time, but I don't really remember how I felt the first time I saw it because it was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really tell you much. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, yeah, it's been a couple years. All right, what were your thoughts, initial thoughts, when you finished it this time around? I think overall it's good. I think the story is kind of generic fantasy a little. But that's not a bad thing. It's just I've seen this kind of thing before. It's the standard outline. But, like, mm-hmm. the real reason you're watching this is for the puppetry, which is incredible. Right, yeah. And, like, it is a cool world. I don't know which world I like more in terms of, like, the actual concept, this or Labyrinth's world. We'll get to that more later. But, like, in terms of, like, the sheer craft of making the movie, it's great. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, that's what grabbed me the first time I saw this trailer when I was, like, what, 
eight years old, maybe even younger, maybe later. I don't even remember. I just remember for the first time watching a trailer for The Dark Crystal on my Muppets from Space DVD and just being blown away by like, holy shit, movies can look like that. And it never left my mind ever since. So, John, uh, what were your initial thoughts uh, after watching The Dark Crystal this time around? This time around, well, um, I connected with it a lot better because you and I, you and I watched it a number of years ago, and I, to be honest, I really didn't remember anything about it. Um, <laughs> this time, I mean, we saw it in the theater, which was fantastic. I think mm-hmm. movies—they always look better in the theater; they always move better. Um, I I really liked it. Contrary to what I said in the beginning about Jen, um, I have problems with this movie, but I also really like it. I think it's it's a wonderful creative thing. It's like it, it's it's the deepest look into Jim Henson's like ultimate level of creativity, in my opinion. Like when he when he tries to do something serious that's not the Muppets. Yeah, I definitely see that too. Because like. I mean, like I said, I have been thinking about this movie like for close to my entire life at this point, just because of the way it looks, just the way it uh, leaps off the screen at certain points. And, like the way yeah. that I can't even comprehend what I'm looking at half the time in a good way. Like it's so alien and distant to me that I just I, it's impossible to even imagine like any of these locations, any of these creatures like being from Earth. Like it's t- a totally totally extraterrestrial movie in that regard yeah and yet it is all still feels believable because it's all actually in front of the camera exactly that's another that thing true that's very true i i love like you know I'm, I'm sure they did the castle as like a little model off in the distance and it just you know it's 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 really there and mm-hmm. uh a, a lot of a lot of it looks pretty incredible the thing that leaps out to me and this might sound a little weird but um the gelflings hair looks so realistic mm-hmm. jen's jen's hair it just it just looks like someone's real hair it's it's very incredible how they yeah. managed to pull that off they they actually shaved off jim henson's children and they were bald the entire filming because they just used their hair okay why didn't they why didn't they just cast cast the children then that was not true that was a fact i made up on the spot i couldn't tell if you were lying or not <laughs> It's a lie. Oh, I've dear. been lying. It's it was a fool's fool. Um, in yeah. any case, I think it's also really cool when they do the uh, like the full costume puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, like the the mystics and those big I forget what they're called, but the the big beetle things that that run around uh, capturing the people. Gartham. That Gartham. That's right. Yeah, they. I, I thought they were especially impressive with with how they moved and and stuff they look really heavy and you can definitely tell like that you can see the and because we saw this on the big screen like i remember definitely noticing you could see the puppeteer's legs in those costumes but like they covered them up with like the little frilly uh little looking octopus legs that they put like on the bottom you can still see them but like you can definitely see they put some thought into the costuming to just be like okay we got to cover this up let's add more detail to this creature you know for sure. Uh, I would like, just like to quickly chime in. Uh, the version of the movie that I own is the uh, Sony Digibook, so it has like a booklet in front of it that it has a lot of like behind-the-scenes detail. Uh, do you want to hear the write-up for the Gartham? Please do. 
Okay. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah. Armored warriors of destruction. Their bodies have no hearts or other organs and require neither food nor drink. Their only nourishment is the pleasure they desi- they derive from destruction. They have served the forces of evil since the Skeksis separate from the mystics. Uh, realized from Froud, sketches by sculptor and designer Fred Nita. I think that's how it's pronounced. The Garfram were described as evolutionary robots. Physically, the Garfram were composed of 590 interlocking parts, mostly styrofoam and fiberglass, which nonetheless weighed in at 70 pounds. Much of the weight was in their long, lethal tails, which tended to slow down even the most agile acrobat. The tail unit was redesigned so that it no longer dragged on the ground, and the Garfram became dexterous as they were deadly. <laughs> and then there's just like yeah. some little blueprints, I think. Yeah. So they basically had to run around with an oversized, like, fireman's costume with a bunch of spindly legs hanging. Exactly. Basically, they, basically they Quasimodo. Got claws. Yeah, Quasimodo. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, yeah, the puppetry is all amazing. Now, um, shall we talk about the story? Um, so, yeah, I want to – so I, you guys have been saying that, like, it's a little generic. I agree. I think it is a bit of a generic fantasy story. I also think – so – I remember when I first watched it, I was not a fan of the fact that uh, the wisest mystic is like te- is like dumping all this exposition on Jen. He's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, you got to save the world because it's ending in like three days, three days. And like uh, yeah. it's just such a weird thing to bring up now. And he's just like, I should have told you these things long ago. But I will say upon watching it for like, I don't know, the 10th time now, I actually kind of like that. I like how Jen is given this ultimatum a couple days before, and it just kind of throws him into this world-ending adventure, and he has no idea what he's doing. I kind of like that. I kind of like how it kind of ups the stakes. It kind of makes the main character more frustrated. Like, in any other movie, I feel like... Yeah, it would be frustrating to just throw a character into this situation with no uh, warnings beforehand. But, I mean, a lot of uh, people experience that in every day. Like, sometimes just big, important uh, jobs need to happen at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the way I took it it was also kind of just, like... It, all that happened was also kind of sudden because it was just like, oh, both him, both the mystic and the uh, Emperor Skeksis are dying at the same time. So mm-hmm. I kind of just took it as like a very sudden thing that they didn't really get a choice in. Exactly. Yeah. They're just like, all right, this is happening way too soon. I also like the idea that these Skeksis and the mystics are connected. So, you know, we see the Skeksis as like the ultimate evil. And in the opposite side, we, we're supposed to see the mystics as like the ultimate good. The mystics ne- do, da- do they do jack shit throughout the whole movie. If you actually realize, like that's not they true. Are, they go they just walk once. They are useless. They go, oh, and, and they, just, they go on a lovely. Stream. And I like that because it's like okay, it's just like this idea that okay, you you're looking up to these people, like on either side. It's like you got the evil people, you got the good people. At the end of the day, they're all connected. Like, it's up to you, a normal person, to fix this. Um, I was just going to say, so about, you know, I, having Jen get all this crazy information dumped on him really quick and, like, you have to go and save the world. I'm sorry, I should have told you this. That adds a lot of good dramatic drive to it. I think one of the things that this film and 
pretty much any film that has to establish an entire world struggles with is getting getting you into it in the beginning and giving you all the information you need and i feel like this this is kind of one of those movies where like the beginning it just it's it's throws so much at you that you almost don't have enough time to get acquainted with like the characters in the world before it's like it just it has to yes. go yes you know? uh and and as a consequence at the end it's a very kind of sudden ending we don't get any time to really see like what the world is like after because there's this world is so insane and there's so much to do that that takes up the whole movie and personally i've i've always struggled a little bit getting into movies like that but it's it's an understandable feature of something like this yeah exactly i mean that is one of the things that had to come with this movie like i you know you always hear about uh the not straight up disaster the production of this was but like you know the first test screenings were like a were kind of a disaster because nobody understood what the fuck was going on like the skexies originally did not speak english they spoke like egyptian or some shit and you know kids were watching this like what is going on <laughs> it's like what when you say that like this is henson's like deepest form of creativity and like like he really was stretching uh Re- really stretching like what would be acceptable for like yeah. young audiences at the time he's just like he's just doing whatever the fuck he wants and everyone's just like uh let's let's rein it back just a bit you, you know made the muppets will let you do the movie but uh, you know you gotta give a little <laughs> yeah exactly like just because you because <laughs> i mean yeah i mean think about it like this is the first dark thing that he's made after the muppets like as he's making the Muppet movies and the Muppet show. And then he comes along with this. It's like, it's, it's yeah. total whiplash. And I Cause... think it's, it's a great tone to have. I yes. think it's just, it's like, because it was his first time getting anything like this out. It's like, he's trying to fit so much into it. It's such a deep world to explore. I feel like maybe the movie could have been a little longer. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I'm glad that it's only an hour and a half because, you know, movies are ever so rarely an hour and a half anymore you know like they have to be two hour epics but it never feel it never feels like they're they can be two hours like they just they feel like they have to be two hours because well other movies are two hours it's like no a movie can just be an hour and a half and establish so much so but i do think that yes because this movie introduces a brand new world brand new lore brand new universe of rules and fantasy elements it's like yeah you kind of need to i don't know maybe add a little bit more of that runtime to maybe catch us up a little bit and so I, mean, I totally get that for me the it's movie more is my, my 10 minutes taste. shorter than labyrinth yeah is oh it? yeah the movie is it is shorter than labyrinth yeah i remember that because really? i remember i was watching labyrinth and i'm just like i'm labyrinth looking at my watch shorter. does it oh well that's interesting to, to me it felt shorter yeah, no, it's like Labyrinth is like an hour and 40, I think. I can't remember the exact yeah. uh, amount of time it is, but it's somewhere around there. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I, I don't know. I mean, and maybe this is because, again, this is like my 10th time seeing this movie. Like, I'm not that uh, startled by the pacing or anything like that. Like, I kind of get what's going on. Again, because yeah. I've seen it ten times. I've seen the series, the Netflix yeah. series, twice. So like, I kind of have an understanding of what what the hell is happening. It's not incomprehensible. I just like just th- all of this is just my personal 
preference to have a little bit more time to get to know the characters. But absolutely, even I mean, without that, getting on the journey, the journey's great. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally, I just wish we had a little bit more time with the characters. Yeah, especially someone as awesome as Chamberlain and his. Hmm. Oh, I could have done with a whole lot less of that guy. Really? <laughs> oh man, uh, Chamberlain's just, the best. He's like I, I he wish actually he started talking English sooner in the movie because I thought the whole time he was just going to be going. Hmm. I know. Yeah. No. So that's what's really funny about that character. I feel like a lot of people when they say "hmm," they're thinking like. All the Skeksis do that, but it's just Chamberlain who does that. And oh, thank God. I yeah, it probably would have gotten grading <laughs> if every Skeksi did it. But I'm glad that it's just him. Cause... Yeah. Emperor, what is your first request? Mm, yeah. Murder. <laughs> murder. They would impeach that guy so fast. Get back, spithead. <laughs> I love that line. That's one of my favorite lines. You know, he's just like spithead. <laughs> like, what kind of an insult is that? <laughs> uh, that's called Jim Henson had to rewrite the script real quick because he made it too intense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Herm Face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, it's cha- Chamber- so Chamberlain. What do you think of all of us? Well, and then just a freight train goes by. <laughs> like, oh, cha- Chamberlain, what was that? I couldn't quite hear you. Oh, whoops. We have to move on with the story. He yeah. summoned the cleaner. He summoned the cleaner. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about Kira. Uh, what Kira. are you guys' thoughts of Kira? I like she, Kira. She was the other Gelfling, right? She was the other Gelfling. Yeah. She was the one who wrote all the names in the Death Note. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Uh, yeah, she had wings and could do <laughs> she, the big floaty. She had wings and did the big floaty. Yeah. So, I mean, I like Kira. I think I, I like the way that she's written. I like how she's... In, introduced in the story i think she plays her part real well how she's like she's lived with the podlings all her life she's lived in the forest her entire life so like that's the yeah. way that she shows off her skills like she and she's willing to do the right thing not because she was prophes prophesized to do it but because she genuinely wants to help i think that's a really good character trait honestly she's just, she's just lovely yeah that's that's why she does it. Yeah. Yeah, she's a lovely, lovely character. One of my favorite scenes with her is. Um... And I feel like. Oh, go ahead, John. I was gonna say. Um, I just I feel like we get we get a much better sense of who she is really quickly. Yes. You know. Definitely, just from like how she can she how she can speak with the animals because and stuff her, like that. Because, like with with her family and stuff. Yeah. And the yeah. dream fasting, but I mean, yeah. the dream fasting is a little weird, which is why I find it funny that the Netflix the series fasting. brought it in because they're just like, well, it, it was is. in the movie, we kind of have to include it because it's like, you know, it's just like we kind of have to include this stupid power. So I guess we'll write it into the series. It's interesting. But yeah, it is but an like, interesting it's scene. Stuff, it's like I wish we saw that stuff in the movie and not in the dream. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it is what it is. But I was also going to say one of my favorite scenes with her is yeah. when um, she and Jen are on the river and she's just like like throat singing and he starts playing his flute. It's a very nice scene. Like it, you probably could cut it out of the movie and nothing would change. But like I just like that. I like watching these characters interact in this world and you just hear these sound effects. You hear like the fucking uh, ambience of like the forest and the swamp area. It's nice. And you just like this very nice sounding music as well. It's better than the swamp in the other movie. It's better than the swamp in the other movie, one hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, actually, I think you'll find it was a bog. Yeah, it's 
It's true. It's true. Um, so I wanted to say, do you guys have anything else you wanted to say about this movie before we move on to like the uh, talking about the Blu-rays that I have of it? Uh, like in general, what this movie feels when I say like it feels standard, what I mean is that like you have like your standard fantasy thing, like oh you have to go do this quest. So sure. the whole movie is kind of just like a road trip in a way, so, like trying to advance to their big end goal and just seeing what wacky shenanigans you get into. Yeah, it's a typical fantasy trope of like you're going on an adventure. I mean, like a it's Lord of the Rings, of the Rings. essentially. Yeah, it's a huge. Like, Lord of the Rings is a huge version of that, where like, because it spanned three movies. One scene in particular that reminds you of Lord of the Rings is, like, when they're in, like, the bar scene, and then the Garfum show up to crash yes. the party. That's, yes. like, it was, like, the Banshee that, like, walked in on the bar in the first Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, exactly. How you're just, yeah, totally. It's, like, you're sitting down to, like, after your long travels, but, like, then the villain shows up, and you gotta, like, continue your travels, even though you want to rest. It's, like... Sorry. <laughs> Fellowship calls. Nope. I'm the big bad Beetleborg, and I'm going to take your life unless you run away, Sonny. Yeah, I'm going to destroy this uh, Ewok village before the Ewoks were even a thing. What was the name of, like, the lady in, like, the observatory place or whatever? Agra. Yeah, she got a dumpy. Yeah, she does, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, my turn. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, you go ahead, John. So, I have I have to say, uh, Jen is kind of weak at the beginning of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. He gives me a lot of kind of whiny Luke Skywalker vibes, mm -hmm. like power converters. You know, it's like, like when when he's first on the journey, he's like, "Why am I even doing this? What is this? Where am I going?" Like uh, his dialogue all feels like really on the nose, and like he's just like. He's just whining about the whole thing. He doesn't know what's going on, mm -hmm. and it's just—it's hard to, to describe. I just—I just thought he was very weak at the start of the movie. Yeah, I think as it goes on, um, especially once once he teams up with Kira, and there's the the contrast between them. I think it's it's much better. But he's it, maybe he's just—I think he's also just kind of a quiet guy. But like at the at the beginning, man, I—I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think I think he's kind of weak when he starts. The it does definitely, yeah, no, and it definitely does show like kind of like the flaws with the script writing. How they're just like, what do we do with this character? Like he's the main guy, but like you got to do more than just be like, oh, he's the main character. Like you yeah. got to give him like more of a personality, which is why I like that scene later on when he and Kira uh, stumble upon those ruins, and you know the after he's met Kira, like she's really proven to herself as like, you know, she's very feisty. She can, she knows her way around the forest. She knows her way with the podlings. She knows how to talk to certain animals. And like here they come across the ruins and she's like, what is this? And then Jen gets to show off his skills because he was raised by mystics. Yes. He was raised by scholars his whole yes, life. Yes, so yes. now he gets to show like his book smarts essentially. I think part of it yeah. is just that like, it's the standard trope of, the audience served a character like he doesn't have much personality at start because he's there to be you mm -hmm. yeah, yeah exactly and a lot of fantasy main characters are like that but you know you get you get actual good ones like frodo like luke skywalker and to be honest jen is much better than say uh sarah and labyrinth and uh what's his face from the black cauldron have you guys ever seen the black cauldron <laughs> i have no yeah, the main character sucks in that movie. Let me movie. put it to you this way for Black Cauldron. It actually did get a Blu-ray release recently, but only for the Disney Movie Club. 
It's typical Disney. They fucking hate that movie. It's so funny how much they hate that movie. Um, I mean, it was their lowest point. Yeah. Like, that was also, like, right at the moment when, like, Katzenberg and Eisner came in. It was already in mid-production, and then they showed up. So, uh, things got fucky from there. Yeah. Apparently, there was, like, a quote from, like, Katzenberg, who said, like, he saw, like, parts in a cut of the movie and said, you need to change this, you need to edit it. And it's like, how do you edit an animated movie? (laughs) Oh, I I have heard that. Uh, that, uh, And then he went on to make DreamWorks. But, like, to get up to, like, the protagonist, it's like, that's li- literally the entire point of Link in Zelda. Right, yeah, that's why you he's never why his, spoken. That's that's why his name is Link, because he's the link between the player and the game. He's the missing Link. Excuse me, princess. <laughs> so how many copies of this movie do you own? Uh, three. So let me explain. So I have it on this 4K because I have it on 4K now, this 4K Blu-ray disc. I have it on a special edition DVD uh, from, like, the early 2000s, 1999 to be specific, uh, because I'm a a fan of those. And then I have here with me a Dark Crystal slash Labyrinth double feature Blu-ray in the shape of a VHS case, because... I needed Labyrinth on Blu-ray, and when I looked it up on Amazon, this was the first thing that popped up, and I'm like, well, I'm getting it, because I need that. <laughs> I I am a fan of VHS still, and uh, I remember, if, if for any audience members out there, a couple episodes, or a bunch of episodes ago, I talked about uh, Stranger Things Season 1 on this Blu-ray pack that I owned it on, and how that was in the shape of an old VHS tape. But I got rid of that because I saw no reason to keep it. But, like, here, this is another one of those things where it looks like a VHS case. It's, I mean, I will say I'm not a fan of the fact that it only has one disc holder, so I have to put both discs on top of one another whenever I put it back. But, I mean, it's tiny nitpicks, I guess. The uh, worst case I've ever seen was, like, I have this uh, Free Stooges DVD set. And, like, it's, mm. a, it's a, nice, a nice little box, but then you open it up, and, like, it's literally just a big plastic tray that has, like, all ten discs stacked on top of e- each other. Oh, which is uh, really bad, especially for DVDs, since those get scratched easier. So yeah. I don't even have them in that case anymore. I just have them in a binder. Well, there you go. I mean, Because it's probably better for the discs, if anything. Yeah, I hate when I hate when DVDs and Blu-ray cases do that. It just it boggles my mind that they still do that. I love Blu-ray steelbooks and stuff, but also never buy a steelbook for a TV show. Yeah, no, that's... you know that's going to have multiple discs, and they're going to have to stack them. So uh, if you have, like, if you get a steelbook for a multiple movies, don't. Just get a regular Blu-ray at that point, because it'll probably yeah. be packaged better. I mean, because, like, it'll look just as well, you know? Because, like, it's a Blu-ray, so it's going to look better anyway. But I guess some people just uh, are very particular about the stuff they own it on. William, what do you own The Dark Crystal on? Uh, both of the movies here I have in these Sony Digibook packs. So, like, they don't make Digibooks too often anymore, but they sometimes still pop up. Basically, mm-hmm. just, it's bound like an actual book. You just open up, and there's, like, the disc in a, like, in a little plastic tray at the side that's attached. And then yeah. there's, like, the booklet part of it that goes into, like, the making of some of the characters, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. 
I have a I have like five of these. I have the mm-hmm. Dark Crystal Labyrinth, and then I have Little Shop, King Kong, and the original Clash of the Titans. Uh, yeah, I have it for like uh, Big Lebowski, and then I think I also have it for like both Ghostbusters movies, if I remember remember correctly. Yeah, like they don't really make that many Digibooks anymore. I think most because it's just like it costs more money to produce, and they yeah. figured if they want to do that, they can just make like a little mini booklet and just put it in a regular case, and the audience is getting the same amount of content for less price. So. Yeah, I get, exactly. They look cool. I like it, but I, I get why they don't do it too often because you're still getting the same amount of content the other way too. Right, so that definitely makes sense. John, do you happen to own The Dark Crystal on any sort of Blu-ray? You know, I don't know. I don't think I do. I, I We might have a DVD mm. somewhere, but I if we do, I've never watched it. I can't mm-hmm. remember if I've seen it in the bookcase or not. Mm-hmm. I thought I remember. Do you happen to have it on VHS? I, same thing. We 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 may have. I feel like I've seen one at your house before in the bookcase. I, you know, I I even remember you being over here and you, you thought maybe you found it and you're like, oh hey, you have it. Sounds like me. So, I mean, I, I might. But I've, no, that definitely I, sounds like I something. Do, I've yeah. never watched it. I only saw it when I saw it with you a number of years ago and then just shortly ago. Yeah. And I liked it. And for, for all the crap I get yeah. about, you know, yeah, of Jen course. maybe being a weak character and the pacing at the beginning maybe being a little nuts, I really like it. I think it's a wonderful movie. And I think it has a wonderful soundtrack. Oh, God. Yeah. That's something I wanted to mention. The music. I'm surprised not many more people talk about the music of this movie because it's phenomenal. It is really good. It's really good at being like this grand orchestral sound to it. Like there's cer- certain scenes where like Jen's walking through. Obviously, it looks like the countryside of England because that's where they could film. But like still, you got these like sweeping shots of this waterfall and like the music sounds so grand and epic. It's amazing. And then, you know, other times it's very exciting. It's very it has like a weird uh, melody to it, a weird sound to it at certain points to really drive home the fact that this is a very alien world. Like, it's phenomenal. I love the score of this movie. It's so freaking good. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about in general with the this movie? I will say one thing I think this does do a better job than the next one is I know we talk about the pacing for the beginning, but like mm-hmm. I do feel like a certain amount of exposition is required, and I yes. think it does a better yeah. job immediately establishing the world yes. than Labyrinth mm-hmm. does. Mind you, I guess Labyrinth, Labyrinth doesn't really does. need to do that much explaining. Yes. But, I mean, it, it is kind of a simpler world by design, but right. it also doesn't really try to establish it. You can pick it up easily as you go along. But, like, mm-hmm. this is a better just, like, establishing everything right at the beginning. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, in any case, as for the uh, various uh, versions of this movie that I own, I'm obviously keeping the 4K because I want to see this movie in, like, crisp quality 4K. I might keep the special edition DVD just because I really love these kinds of early, like, late 90s, early 2000s DVDs of movies. Um, so I might keep it for now. Who knows if that'll happen for the, uh, if that, if I'll keep it forever and ever after that, who knows? And honestly, for the, uh, Labyrinth Dark Crystal double feature, I'll wait until I'm done with, uh, discussing that movie to make my final decision on that. So, uh, you guys want to move on to Labyrinth? Let's do it. Uh, I guess. All right. 
let's talk about Jim Henson's second dark fantasy movie from the 80s, uh, Labyrinth, made in 1986. Uh, I wouldn't really call it dark. Well, I mean, it's darker than The Muppets, um, but not as dark as The Dark Crystal. No. I mean, that makes sense because it's called Dark Crystal. Yeah, I was going to say, they would have called it Dark Labyrinth, but no, they just called it Labyrinth. Where's the crystal? I can't see it. (laughs) So anyway, Labyrinth. I feel like whenever people bring up the Dark Crystal or they bring up Labyrinth, they're kind of brought up in the same breath just because, I mean, they're two different Jim Henson fantasy movies from the 80s that aren't the Muppets. I feel like they're going to be brought up together. So, and I feel like that's why they put them on the same... uh, vhs blu-ray pack where like it's a double feature because a lot of people i guess kind of see these movies as very similar well also because sony has the rights to both sony has the rights to both that's very true um so originally me and william were actually going to do a crossover episode of i don't know just uh, something whatever i was going to call it and then i got lazy yeah we were going to do it i still have the audio from a year ago i just never did anything with it yeah, that's true. We did that. We I did think it's Fritz... still sitting on my desktop. Yeah, we did that. We did Fritz the Cat, and oh, then right, we never did them. <laughs> that's okay, I can't okay, believe though. it. We killed Fritz. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> but anyway, now now's your time. Now's your shot at redemption, William. Let's talk about Labyrinth. William, what did you think of Labyrinth? Uh, give me your thoughts. Give me, give me. Those they thoughts. haven't really changed at all. My main thing here is that like, there's a lot to like here. All the p- the pieces are there. They just don't really connect. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like I like a lot of individual things about this, but I feel like once you actually like connect it to like the whole, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't really amount to what it should. It's yeah. fine. It's just there's for whatever reason, it just doesn't really do it all the way for me. Yeah, I would say I agree. But uh, John, I want to hear your thoughts on Labyrinth. I don't know if I've ever heard your actual fleshed out thoughts on labyrinth uh gimme gimme so i think i agree with william a lot um the more specifically the elements that i don't think work are the songs um just for me personally mm-hmm. they didn't really serve a purpose i didn't i had no problem with the songs themselves i just felt like they didn't they didn't seem to be necessary you know like if you think about not, not not to compare this to the Muppets because it's not comparable, but just in terms of structure, you know, when you have a song in the Muppet movie, it's to explain a part of the story. And I feel like the Labyrinth songs don't really do that, uh, especially the second one. I forget. Is it called like Wild wild Ones or Wild Things? Um, the, the red guys that take their heads off. Uh... Like... Uh, I think oh. that's, uh, that's the that's my big pr- problem scene with the movie, but like, we'll get to that later. I think that sounds kind of like chilly down or something. It's it's the movie's big lipped alligator moment. It, yeah, it's just it it felt like it felt like you know it's like Sarah comes in and there's these these creatures and they sing a song about who they are and then they don't do anything. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like she comes yeah. in and like, hey, we're here. This is who we are. We're wild. Okay, bye. Yeah, so this is obviously, it's definitely more of a musical. Yeah, I feel like they had to make it a musical. They thought they had to because Bowie was involved. And again, say what you want about David Bowie. I am a huge fan of Bowie. I feel like thanks to this movie and, well, as horrible as it is to say, thanks to his death like and him gaining more popularity because of it, Like I definitely 
I definitely listened to a lot more Bowie uh, posthumously than I did when he was alive. Um, but with that said, as I am, I do like the songs relatively. I do agree with you, John. I don't know if I like them within the context of the movie, just because yeah. they are very awkwardly inserted in there. I remember like, you know, for example, Dance Magic Dance. Like that's like the film's most famous song where he's just like running around with all these goblins and just singing Dance Magic Dance. You're just like I remember when I was watching it this uh most recent time, I'm like, what does this have to do with the rest of the movie? Like Sarah's just walking through this maze and he's just like, Dance, magic, dance, dance, magic, dance, look at my exactly. bulge. It's just like, what is going on? What what is the <laughs> context here? I think what it is is that the songs are less there to establish the, to advance the plot and more there to like establish the characters in the world. Because like, mm-hmm. no, the plot's not really advanced with dance, magic, dance, but you do also see how the goblins behave and act with each other. Which is weird because I yeah. feel like we kind of get the gist of that when Sarah's wishing for the Goblin King to take away Toby and the goblins are just there just being like, oh, is she going to say the magic words? Well, we haven't seen them interact with the Goblin King yet. That's true, too. Yeah. That's true, too. I think the first the first song serves much more of a purpose. Yeah, okay. So in that case, yeah, that makes sense. But then, like John was saying, with the whole... Uh, uh, the kill themselves Red, demons. The kill themselves demons. Like they, they have a song <laughs> that establishes who they are, and then Which, we never it's see also them just again. It's a really bad song. It is not a very good song, I will admit. So <laughs> I do like some of the song. That's one I didn't like. Yeah, I don't even remember the melody. Like it has just, none. It has no melody. It's literally just these guys talking over one another, and I'm like, and then oh, tearing their God. limbs off. It, yeah, and that's the joke laugh audience are you laughing like, yet no i like their okay. design but like they li- you could literally remove that scene from the movie and nothing would change i guess it just i guess it gets her out of the forest back into the main lab because hoggle puts the throws the rope down or something right he does but like that's that's it but then what was the purpose of her being in there in the first place uh, they got lost yeah well that's the thing with this movie it's essentially wizard of oz alice in wonderland uh, yeah. typical like little girl gets lost in a fantasy realm uh, movie, but then, you know, it has kind of a dark edge edginess to it. You know, I guess you could make the argument that, uh, well, you really can't because Wizards of Oz and Alice in Wonderland are by no means edgy, but they do have elements to them that are scary. But like, I feel like this is kind of amping it up a little more. Well, the original know. books were probably edgier than the movies. Oh, one hundred percent. I. I definitely do not doubt that. Which, um, to go into that, uh, the copy of the actual Wizard of Oz book does show up in this movie. So, like, the parallels yes. are fully intentional. <laughs> they want you to recognize that. Yeah. I think also, like, one of the books on her shelf... So, uh, uh, what we're talking about is, at the beginning, there's a scene where, like, you're they're go- like the camera pans through uh, Sarah's bedroom, and you see a lot of... Um, uh, foreshadowing moments to the things that are yet to come. Like you see like a bunch of stuffed animals that look like the creature she's going to come across. You see a bunch of books like Alice in Wonderland and uh, Wizard of Oz. And honestly, I think I remember seeing Snow White and the Seven Dwarves there too, which is really funny because I recently rewatched Se- Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And it's also funny because I'm like, hey, this is the second movie in a row where the main villain has an unhealthy obsession with a teenage girl. Uh, yeah. So. Well, the villain in this movie also talk- has the main villain in this movie also has a, a healthy obsession with a little baby boy. 
That well, mm. oh boy. We, <laughs> so, oh boy. yeah. And he has a giant bulge. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> He's just a baby boy. Don't touch him. Yeah. They knew exactly what they were doing. I'm sure they probably. I think they didn't know what they were doing, and that's like... the problem. Hmm. Oh. I mean, so the interesting thing with that is, like, I've heard a lot of. Well, maybe not a lot, but I have heard the theory that this movie's like a metaphor for like a girl's sexual awakening, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to subscribe to that no, because one, I'm not no. a teenage girl, but also it's like I don't even know where to begin with that. Like that's just I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> like I, I, I don't even know if I want to imagine. It's like no, thank you. I think I can vaguely see it with like the ending scene where she's like. Like, Bowie wants her to be his bride, and she's like, you have no power over me. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, consent. Yeah. Uh, I can vaguely see it there, but, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, like, the rest of the movie, I don't know if you really can connect. I'm sure you could, but, like, I don't know if I'd really want to. That's the other thing. So, I feel like this movie, I, I remember, John, you were kind of, or was it William? I don't know. One of you brought up where, like, you said, like, the... uh this movie doesn't really do a good job at establishing this fantasy world, whereas Dark Crystal kind of had yeah. to have that narration at the beginning, whereas this uh, that doesn't. Was me. I didn't yes. say that it does a bad job. It just says that the other movie does it a lot better. It, Yeah, no, I, but what I I'm agree. trying to say is, like, yeah, I agree. And I think the reason why is because I don't think this is a tangible universe like uh, the Dark no. Crystal is. I think this no. is just all in her head. Like, yeah. this is just a dream that she has. But, now, with that said, I don't... I can't really explain at the end where she's just, where she sees all the creatures in her bedroom. I can't really, I can't really speak to that. Um, yeah. But I for the most, the, most of the movie, I like to say that my theory is that it's a dream. It's the nightmare on Elm Street ending. You, you know what? That is absolutely, you, you no, probably it's like 100%, nailed it. Cause yeah, cause no, you, not even just the whole waking up and like, Oh, it's still going on. No, literally the way she defeats the Goblin King is the exact same way Nancy beats Freddy in the first movie. Yeah, no, you're probably right, because Nightmare on Elm Street came uh, came out 84. before. The, yeah, 84, and this is 86. I think, like, the intent is that it technically still happened. It's just that, like, like maybe it was all a dream, but it still happened in that regard, kind of. Right. It happened in the dream world. It's a it big fairy tale. It still had a profound impact on it. It is a very big fairy tale. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because, like, she's... A changed character by the end, I think. I don't know. Um, Can I rant about the hand scene? I really want to rant about the hand scene. Okay. (laughs) So if you guys remember, there's that scene where... So there's that scene where she goes through, where she has, like, the the two doors. And it's like one one of them tells the truth, the other tells a lie. And she goes through one of them. And then she falls through into, like, that pit of hands, just grabbing grabbing her down there and then she's like stop and the hands are like all right which way do you want to go up or down and i remember being a kid and being blown away by that i'm like holy shit she's getting a choice it's like take advantage of that go back up and then she doesn't she's just like well i'm already heading down so might as well and i'm like are you serious like the one time in a fantasy movie where a character is falling down a pit and she actually has the choice to go back up the way she came and do something again and fix it and she doesn't take it. And I have, even the first time I watched this when I was a kid, when I watched that, it infuriated me so much. I'm like, how are you this stupid? Granted, she gets out of it anyway because she 
just so happens to find Hoggle at the bottom of the of the pit. And I get it. That's the point of the story. But it's like, why introduce that as a choice anyway? I think like maybe part to give her the benefit of the doubt. What does certain death look like? For all she knows, if she did go up, maybe that maybe this technically was the right way. It's just that it leads down a hole anyway. Mm. That's what I thought. Like too. maybe she opens the other door and there's just a gun. <laughs> also, I'm yeah. looking through the uh, book now to see what's there because I remember there was like something about the hand scene. Uh, but I did just notice this little fun fact: uh, the Chili Down song that with the uh, killed himself demons. That was the first song Bowie wrote for the film, and it shows. That's the first one. You can only go up from there, I guess. <laughs> and he did, because, I mean... Yeah. Okay, here we go. I found the uh, Shaft of Hand scenes. Uh, it, do you want me to just read that quickly? Do you want to finish what you're saying first? I, no, you know, no, I've pretty much gotten it out. I really just cannot stand that hand scene. I, It's one of my least favorite things in the movie. From uh, a story point. Yes, definitely. Yeah. From I mean, the effects yeah. standpoint. Oh, yeah, no, the effects are magnificent. It's really good. Uh, an equally complicated scene was the shaft of hands. George Gibbs in the special effects scene devised a 30-foot-high shaft for Jennifer to descend, accompanied by a camera mounted on a 40-foot vertical camera track, which followed Jennifer's descent down the shaft with perfect timing and accuracy. The 150 live hands that grabbed at grabbed at and interacted with Jennifer was supplied by 75 puppeteers and assistants and augmented by an additional 200 foam rubber hands. Connolly remarked, it was fun. Some of the hands <laughs> passed me little notes during breaks. Others tried to communicate in sign language. One idea that didn't make it into the film was a scene in, in a giant pinball machine. It would have been a challenge for the effects team, but as far as Jim was concerned, the possibilities were infinite. They wanted to put a fucking pinball machine in this movie? Yeah, what? Uh, a said director, machine. Said director Jim Henson of The Shaft of Hands, it's certainly one of the most bizarre and unusual sequences I've ever used in a movie. But then Labyrinth is full of bizarre and unusual sequences. It was, in fact, screenwriter Terry Jones of Monty Python who first had the idea of the Shaft of Hands. Then I contributed the conception of the hands making faces and speaking. You might say that we were given a gave one another a hand with the scene. After the entire sequence was in the can at the end of the day, the hands at one side of the shaft applauded the other side, who then returned the gesture. The foam rubber hands didn't bother. <laughs> yeah can we talk about that like terry jones wrote this movie like that's weird to me like i mean obviously there's a lot of weird aspects to this movie but like terry jones wrote the screenplay like that's really random to me i mean like when you look at like different directors just see what they've done there's a lot of awkward juxtaposition yeah like again like a favorite fa a fact i always bring up uh the guy who directed christmas story bob clark uh, about 10 years before that, he directed Black Christmas. <laughs> it's true. They're very, very different movies. Um, but yeah, it's and I feel like Terry Jones definitely brings that weirdness to this movie because this is a very, it is a very strange movie. Almost as strange as Dark Crystal, I'll, I'll say, because it's just so out there at times. Just like how creative and because that's the thing I will give Labyrinth. It is very creative as many as much as I like, you know, criticize it and have my problems with it. It is insanely creative, almost as much as the Dark Crystal. Like, obviously, the Dark Crystal, I prefer, but I feel like Labyrinth does have like just 
insane amounts of creativity to it. Just like the way the different puppets will interact and will just like look and every the way like the world works is just insane to me. And I feel like only an insane person could have written that. Um, so naturally one fifth of Monty Python wrote it. So <laughs> that makes sense. I feel like part of it's also just a matter of who is the main character of which movie. Cause in dark right. crystal, the main character is someone who's lived in that world their entire life. So all right. of those crazy things are completely normal to them. So there's right. more of like a, your suspension of disbelief that like, yes, this world is crazy, but like it feels believable there. Whereas in this movie, this is just a regular teenage girl who gets sucked into it, like an isekai. So, like, it feels way more crazy because, like, this character is reacting to all this insanity. They don't know what's going on. Right. No, that definitely makes sense. I, that, yeah, totally, totally. And, like, hearing that, like, a like Monty Python guy was involved in this, that kind of makes more sense at this point now. Like, yeah, of course Monty Python fucking wrote this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, just, and, yeah, no, I'd, that's about it, honestly. Um trying to think what else did i want to mention about this movie uh do we want to talk about the individual characters yeah i guess we can um so there's sarah the main character she really sucks at the beginning you can tell they she probably i don't want to say they filmed it in order because i don't think they did because uh, i don't think jim would have been that um yeah, no, I don't think he would have been that stupid, but i don't remember if we found this out last night was this jennifer connelly's first movie no, actually. I think she was in Once Upon a Time in America before this, and that was Sergio Leone in 84. Okay. Um, but it was one of her first. It's definitely one of her first. Because I think um, she was literally 16 when she did this. Yeah, exactly. And it, it makes sense. I mean, I'm not going to pick on a child for not acting great, of course, but she wasn't acting great. Like that's just a tangible fact right there. <laughs> um, to go into uh, acting, I have another thing to say too, but you finished what you're saying. I was just going to say like, you know, yeah, she's not very good. Obviously she's much better when she's much older, like when she's in dark city and a beautiful mind and uh, even Top Gun Maverick, she, which she was in recently, like she was a lot better in that movie too. So like, obviously it's just a case of, hey, I'm 16. This is one of my first acting gigs. I'm not going to, you know, knock it out of the park like Daniel Day-Lewis on a Tuesday. It's like, it is what it is. So I don't have any issue with Jennifer Connelly's acting, really. Again, I think kind of like Dark Crystal, it's down more to the dialogue that they gave her for certain parts. Um, more the issue that I had with her, and the reason I said a minute ago that she was awful in the beginning, is her character. Because she is so mean. Mm. And, like, and like obviously, that's the point. She's a grouchy <laughs> teenage girl and all that. But, like, it is it is over the top how mean she is to her little brother. Yeah. I find it funny that, like, her stepmother is just like, like, oh, she's she, like, she, damn, I, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, like you. Well, I think it's funny that, like, uh, her stepmother kind of has the line where she's like, she treats me like a whip wicked stepmother. And all she did was like, ask Sarah, like, Hey, where were you? And she's just like, you're the worst. It's just like, God damn. <laughs> this isn't like the, the stepmother yeah. from Cinderella. Like this just seems like a normal lady with shoulder pads. And I mean, they didn't flesh that out. Obviously there could be more going on there that, that we don't see. I mean, it's implied that like, you know, she, I, do they ever say that Toby is her stepbrother? I think they just call him her brother. That's the impression yeah. I got. Maybe they had him after they were okay. already married. 
th- that's what I was gonna say. I thought that that she had a step. She has the stepmother, and then Toby is technically her stepbrother. Maybe that's why she kind of resents him. But like, you know, th- that that's all potential subtext. Um, and it's like I feel like we, we don't we don't. To- Toby doesn't do enough to justify her calling. Well, he doesn't David do anything. He's a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he I cries know. once. He cries it's once, like, and she's just like, like wow, "Get okay, out of here!" So what's our <laughs> go away? Just get out of here, you stupid. Jim, what's animal. our motivation for this movie? Child abuse. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like the thing that I was gonna bring up, and this is like something that's like the entire movie. When we're first introduced to her, she's rehearsing for a play. Mm-hmm. And that play has hints of things like the Goblin King and is stuff she? like that. Yeah, yeah like she's in the park. Yes, yeah, she's she's reciting. She's like rehearsing for a play. She, oh, which uh, that's which I think that would probably. I didn't. I thought she was just. She's she's doing Shakespeare in the park. Yeah, no, she's actually rehearsing for like a play. Yeah, that's what she's reading. Sorry, because uh, like she's talking about the Goblin King. I thought she was just really into this. Yeah, book. I, pff, I don't know. I I thought this was just like she was she was a uh, because my, my impression of it this whole time was that the labyrinth is a book that exists in that world and she's just a huge fan of it that is not a bad theory uh but then that begs the question like why is she shocked by everything when she sees it like wouldn't she know wouldn't she understand like what's happening wouldn't you be shocked if you suddenly wound up in romeo and juliet it's like huh well there's people here but it looks like about a thousand years ago yeah there's nothing wrong that's a good point well if i woke up if i woke up in romeo and juliet what i would say is mercutio get away from tybalt (laughs) <laughs> i would say why are you leonardo dicaprio this is 1996 i would say i would say leo what what the heck is that car <laughs> like with my problem with the thing is that, like so like she's rehearsing this play and there's like reference to, like the goblin king and stuff like that so it's like clearly the point is like oh this play has relevancy to the world she is in mm-hmm. so you'd think logically that like she would at some point recognize that and use her knowledge of the play to, like, help get out of sticky situations or, like, advance the plot. Maybe there's, like, a twist where, like, oh, it doesn't go exactly the way written. Something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But they don't ever really do anything with it until the very, very end. Yeah, exactly. When she, like, realizes she's, like, that's when she uses, like, the line that she can't remember, even though that's, like, one scene at the beginning where she's, like, I can never remember that line. And then it's never brought up until the absolute last second. And she's, like, then she remembers it when it's uh, convenient for the plot. And she's just, like, you have no power over me. And then he uh, disappears, disintegrates. I don't know. Something something happens in the editing. and And then she's back home. Oh, I can't remember that line. Uh, what was it? Klaatu Veratum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, totally, totally a different movie from Army of Darkness, if we're being completely honest. Not really. Those skeletons could probably show up in Labyrinth. You know, that's a good point. I mean... <laughs> what if What if Bruce Campbell was? Uh, oh no, in this Bruce movie? Campbell's driving the cleaner. <laughs> uh, then Jareth would definitely be defeated much quicker <laughs> if Jareth had a gun the movie would be over instantly that is very true uh, it'd be that'd be it would mm. be extremely over <laughs> why doesn't she just get a ladder and climb up the wall but then you wouldn't finish well, clean yeah 
All right, you, I know you're joking, but you're absolutely right. Why doesn't she do that? Hardcore parkour. Hardcore parkour. That's what I'm saying, Dan. I'm it. sorry. Do you see a Home Depot anywhere around there? <laughs> yeah, there's one right there. <laughs> they have ladders in this world. Yeah, they're not totally... Uh... Where? She's in the middle of a barren wasteland. <laughs> Just ask Hoggle for a ladder. Yeah. He probably has one. Yeah. <laughs> How did she not notice there is a gap in that wall? Well, I mean, I didn't notice. Yeah, because of the angle that we were seeing from a camera. But, like, if you were actually in there walking, right. you would notice that there's a gap in that wall walking yeah. down that aisle. How come she didn't ask why she couldn't go the other way? Uh, how come she couldn't ask that? Like, why is she just like, oh, I'll just instantly go this way then. Okay. Why did the worm lie in the first place? Oh, actually. Actually, I have something that I noticed. Yeah? So when she first comes into the labyrinth, left is clean and right is not looked after and she goes down the way that's clearly not looked after and i can't decide if that's smart by her thinking that oh the well-kept way is a trick i'm supposed to think that's the way or if that literally just was the way and she went the wrong way Mm, interesting and the way the way that's clean would have led to the castle so Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's the way that that people usually go. It's like yeah. it's like the other way is you know weird. People th- people don't use it, so the groundskeepers don't come around or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I ain't cleaning this side of the labyrinth. That's my groundskeeper Willie impression. Thank you, everybody. Ah, okay. We'll we'll we'll, we'll call you back on that one. Okay. One thing I definitely well I have noticed this before. There's like random instances where David Bowie's face is just in the architecture of the labyrinth, and I thought that was really funny because, like, that's like when I put my turkey in James's Freebirds video, just in random instances in the video. I mean, if you were an evil king, wouldn't you want your face everywhere? Yeah, it's just like how I wanted my evil turkey everywhere. Exactly. It's the same thought process. Uh, then there's our boy, Hoggle. Hoggle. Whose first introduction in this movie is him taking a piss. Hoggle! <laughs> it's such a good introduction, how he's just, like, taking a piss. It's like, oh, that's awesome. And then he's just killing fairies. It, that's a, I feel like that's a good subversion of typical fantasy stuff. Like, you know, you f- find this mystical creature, and he's taking a piss. And you see these fairies flying around, and he's gassing them to death. Like, I feel like that's really good indications that this is not your grandpa's fantasy story. No. <laughs> Have you seen the pictures of, like, Hoggle when they found him years later in the in the lost suitcase? I have seen that, yeah. How he's, like, deteriorated away, and it's really fucking creepy. It's like something out of Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, yeah it's... it's- yeah. It's really sad, but it's also really cool that he turned up. Yeah, no, and it is very sad because it's like that just shows you like the t- kind of quality that like uh these animatronics get treated uh after the movie because they're just like, well, we don't need these anymore. It's like well, that just kind of happens in general because like the materials those are made of is never made to last. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have to like be constantly keeping up. It, degra- it degrades really. Even easily. if you just like put it in a warehouse and don't really do anything with it, it still just is going to degrade anyway. Yes. Like, there's yeah. a reason, like, to go on a tangent that only I'm going to understand, uh, when they, they're they doing, for, like, the past couple anniversaries for Godzilla Day, they made, like, some short films with, like, some of the older suits and stuff, and, like, you can tell that the Final War suit is, like, starting to, like, come apart, like, the mouth isn't all the way working, the hands are just kind of flappy a little, 
and like they had to reuse the header suit from Final Wars two for that one because like the seventies one doesn't exist anymore. Right. A, a lot of those older suits just don't exist. They have to either remake them or whatever. They did a show a Gigan suit for this year, and they had to crowdfund that to make a new one because otherwise they would have had to use the Final Wars one. If that and that one might not even be in good condition anymore. Yeah, it's just a shame. So like I a couple months ago, I went to the uh, I forget what it's exactly called, but it's a museum in Queens, New York. That's like a it's like the Museum of Moving Image yes! mi- Images. Yes! Okay, so yeah, you know what I'm talking about, John. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's a museum in the middle of Queens. I know, it's great. And they have like a bunch of movie props on display there. And they have an entire Jim Henson display on like, it's on permanent display. It was freaking awesome seeing like the Skeksis costumes, the Mm. Labyrinth stuff, like up close and personal. It's like, geez, like this stuff was in the actual movie. And it looks really cool up close. You're just, it looks really different. You're just like, geez, man, like that's insane. And some of it, is very old and it does look like it's deteriorating but you know uh, now that it's in a museum for all eternity like that's just really cool to me um so some stuff is still in good condition but you know none of it's meant to last think about how many times they've had to remake the kermit puppet yeah exactly they've probably had to remake that like thousands of times at this point um but that's why film is so important because we get to experience the this in, in, insane puppetry on the silver screen, on film, on digital, on whatever. It's it's they're captured forever in time. It's like it's like a time capsule for these things, you know. So whether or not the physical actual puppets deteriorate away, like we'll always have them on film. So I think that's just just as nice. Yeah. All right. Did we have anything else we wanted to say about the movie? Uh, Sir Didymus is pretty funny. He is very funny. I like how he just rides the dog randomly. <laughs> ah, I, it's okay. We have them surrounded. <laughs> we have you surrounded, at least from this side. Is anyone up for a game of Scrabble? <laughs> Why was he protecting the bridge <laughs> at the Bog of Eternal Stench? Like, that was just kind of random. Uh, my my answer is he probably well, forgot why. Because it was his why. job. He's trying to earn a living in this crazy world, man. Cut him a break. Why does he live by the bog of eternal stench? I think he forgot why. Yeah, probably. That's why he forgot that it stunk. Uh... Yeah, speaking of bog of eternal stench, um, why? <laughs> Just because why? Because Jim Henson thought it was funny. I mean, it's funny for like five seconds and then they're there for like 10 or 15 minutes and then the funniness kind of wears off after a while now look i'm not going to stick my nose up at a good fart joke but that's the thing fart jokes are funny in uh what's the word you know not as often moderation moderation exactly not as they're good in moderation but when they're like 10 minutes in a row it's like all right i get it like you know, YouTube poops don't have as many fart sound effects as this. Like, it's not even really trying to tell a joke of it either. It's just they step on the rock, and that's just the sound it makes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess it's tense, because it's just like, oh, if you fall in the bog of eternal stench, you'll stink forever. It's just like, yeah, okay. And then nothing ever happens of that. They just, they they make it out of there okay. So... (laughs) What good that did and us. Theoretically, they should stink because when the rocks come up out of the water, they've got the water on them. So Ye- their their feet still touch the water. Yeah, yeah what's up with get, that? Then they can just buy new shoes. Yeah, okay. So, that well, the, Ludo and Ludo can because I don't think he wears shoes. 
uh, eventually the skin on the bottom. I can't of his imagine Ludo smells that great off. to begin with. That's true. Yeah, take that, Jim Henson. We've we've picked apart your movie, your movie logic. Oh man, I'm yeah. sure Jim Henson's going to be Screw really you for trying that, to be fun even though he's creative. already dead. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's true. So yeah, that's. I really didn't have anything else I wanted to say. If you guys want to give your last thoughts or whatever. Uh, I mean, we didn't talk much about David Bowie. Oh, maybe we should. <laughs> anyway, Probably, yeah, uh, kind of sort of like the most famous part of this movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you always you say like how people right. will always bring this movie up with Tom Dark Crystal. Usually, I see people talk about David Bowie first and talk that's... about the movie. You know what? That's probably what it is. Yeah, it's the other way around. I see it the other way around, where it's people bring this up whenever talking about Dark Crystal, just because it's me. I'm I got Dark Crystal on the mind. What can I say? But yes, absolutely. Like David Bowie makes this movie. Like you know, I remember hearing like uh, behind the scenes about this movie, saying like, oh, it wasn't originally supposed to be Bowie. Like people were considering like Sting in the role, and I'm like, Sting, really? Like, I know, like, no fucking way would that have worked. Like, this is the David Bowie movie, man. Like, it's either him or nobody. Yeah, like, reasonably, who would even be able to play this role besides him? Exactly. Which is why I hope they never make a sequel. Well, like, if they make a movie that's in this universe, just don't have the Goblin King. Just tell other stories in that area. Yeah, I guess so. That would probably work much better. Because, like, this, this this is a really cool world. I'd like to see more things in it. It's just you can't replace the Goblin King. No, you can't. Like, he is this character, and he does an immaculate job at it. Like, I mean, this is the movie that made me discover David Bowie. Like, I didn't know who David Bowie was. But, like, you know, you watch, when I remember watching the trailer for this as a kid, and everyone, and, like, the movie's just like, the excitement of David Bowie. And I'm just like, ah, cool. Who's that? And then, like... Obviously, after that, it opened up a world of Starman, Space Oddity, uh, SpongeBob Let's Dance. SquarePants, Atlantis SquarePants. The Atlantis SquarePants. Uh, that one song in the Shrek peak 2. Of his career as widely acknowledged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I always thought this was like his only movie, but he's been in a couple other things as well. Like, he is a genuine actor in other stuff. Like, he was in. Um, Oh, he he was in uh, the Prestige, the Christopher Nolan movie, where he plays Nikola Tesla randomly. He's very good in that movie. It's like, wow, you're you're in other things than just Labyrinth. Wasn't he in a Scooby Doo movie? Oh, was he? Let me look that up real quick. Yeah, please fact check I, that. Because if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's gonna be really funny for one specific reason. Yeah, please do. I I really hope so because that would be really funny. I mean, I didn't even remember that he was in Atlantis Square Pantis, but I'm glad you brought that off because it's like, oh, yeah, he was in that. And he does a really good job because you barely even recognize him. Old Royal Highness. Yeah. Old Royal Highness. I have not seen Atlantis Square Pantis in years. I need to watch it again. It's not worth it. No, I figured not not because it's uh, post-movie, but, like, still, I don't know. Okay, wasn't yeah. he? He was apparently in an episode of Mystery Incorporated from what I've seen, but he wasn't in the movie I was thinking of. Uh, what was the movie you were thinking of? Uh, there's a movie called Scooby Doo and the Goblin King. Oh yeah, no, it I wasn't guess David Bowie. It was Tim Curry. Okay, well, it was I mean, the Tim... other British guy. Yeah, Tim Curry being in a Scooby Doo movie is still quite funny. So yeah, he was in the episode uh, Web of the Dream Weaver. 
Oh yeah, so like the 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 Scooby Doo show that everybody loves but nobody remembers because it was like the dark version or whatever. I I barely watched Mystery Inc when it came out, so I don't remember anything. I didn't about finish it. it, but I remember that I liked it when I was watching it. Yeah, I remember not hating it. I mean, like it's Scooby Doo. I'm not gonna turn down Scooby Doo unless it's the Raja Gosnell movies. I... Trivia: The Dreamweaver is a combination of David Bowie's character Jared from the Jim Henson movie Labyrinth and. Dr. Michael Morbius, the vampire from Marvel Comics. Yeah, fuck yeah, it's Morbid Time. <laughs> oh, God. It's nice. not. It's not. We're done with that. <laughs> That's. Uh, bury I... me! Bury me! <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That is incredible. Good if it's God. It's Morbid Time, I think. I think it's I think it's time that we we flee this world. How as a side note, as I'm bringing that up, start fading in the actual music. <laughs> just I'll... just quiet, loud enough that they hear it, but quiet enough that I won't get claimed. Sure, sure. I'll see what I can do. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best thing you could have said, honestly. Um, so I guess to wrap things up. Um, because I feel like we can't top that. Uh, so yeah, I still have Labyrinth on this Blu-ray in the shape of a VHS tape. Uh, honestly, as many issues as I have with Labyrinth, I can't hate it. Honestly, like there's just too much to love about it. And even though I am a diehard Dark Crystal fan for life, like I still enjoy Labyrinth. I would absolutely watch it again. I feel like if any if anybody out there listening has never seen it they absolutely should watch it like i think it's important for jim henson as an yeah. auteur i think it's important for fantasy movies from that time period and it's just i mean it's not a terrible movie like it's it's good like i feel like a lot of people would like it i feel like they'd like it a lot more than the dark crystal it is good. like it's it's a lot more uh simple lighthearted and easier to get into than the dark crystal i would say I still prefer the Dark Crystal, but I still like it, and I'm absolutely keeping this Blu-ray in the shape of a VHS tape. It, it's too funny of a Blu-ray pack that I can never part ways with it. I'm absolutely keeping it forever. Um, but do you? So, William, you said you have the uh, Sony book version of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna get rid of that because right. of what it is, and like. And, like, I don't hate the movie. I think it's fine. It's just that it's not... I don't think it's as good as it should be. It's not mm-hmm. all the way there. It needs, no, like, yeah. another draft. Absolutely. I I absolutely agree. I think it... And I think Coolsville sucks. <laughs> anyway, John, do you own this on Blu-ray? Do you remember if you do or not? Labyrinth? I have it on DVD. Uh, that's what I watched it on last night, in fact. Nice. Um, I like it. Um... Personally, I think Labyrinth is a better movie, mm-hmm. but The Dark Crystal is a better world with better mm. characters. And but be- between the two, I would probably choose The Dark Crystal. Hmm. Interesting. No, yeah, I can see that definitely. Yeah. So you're keeping that DVD in your collection? Hundred percent, boy. Oh, we don't get rid of nothing in this house. I only nice. get rid of things if it's something. If I upgrade something, or if uh, I need more room. Yeah, yeah. That's nah, why bro, I, started I say this yes podcast. to VHS. Yeah, I do too. Uh, someday I'll probably own the Dark Crystal on VHS. I feel like that's like one of those movies I should own on VHS, just because 
I'm a fan of the aesthetic. So someday, but not I, today. I actually have like a stack of stuff I need to trade in soon because I've mm-hmm. upgraded or like I got in like a pack of something else and don't need it. And also right. Jungle Cruise because I forgot to say no when that was on the feature train for Disney Movie Club. <laughs> and I never bothered watching it. It's like, I'm not going to watch this, so I'll trade that in too. Yeah, never do. Jungle Cruise, n- not worth it. Not worth it. <laughs> if you're going to watch any uh, Dwayne Johnson joint, watch Black Adam. Kidding, of course. Don't watch Black Adam. So you're saying watch Black Adam? I'm saying watch DC League of Super Pets, boy. <laughs> Uh, uh, no. <laughs> That's probably the best choice. Yeah, I gotta trade in my my DVD copies of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Host, Batman and Batman Returns, The Addams Family 2-Pack, Poltergeist, The Alien Quadrilogy, The First Kingsman, Tomb Raider, The Sci-Fi Creature Classics, and Halloween 2 and 3, because I got them on Blu-ray, or at least have most of those in, in something else. Yeah. Oh, so you got the 4K of the Halloween movies? Uh well okay I have the blur I have the Blu-ray for Halloween too I don't have Halloween free on Blu-ray but I'm probably gonna get that anyway because it, yeah, it was a two-pack yeah okay that's cool and yes I did get the Vinegar Syndrome version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre too oh that's right they did do that I should get that because I do well I, eh. I'll I'll see what happens we'll see you, what happens you can't do it this month though because it's partners only month oh well there you go. You can get Shiva Baby, though, if you want it. Perhaps. (laughs) Next month, they'll be open for real again. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Someday, I'll probably get it. It's Texas Chainsaw 2. The only good Texas Chainsaw sequel. Who are we kidding? The of the Harvest. (laughs) All right. I feel like we've been going on for long enough. Um, William, is there anything you want to shout out, plug, do anything? Just... Tell people where you go. I'm going to put your links in the description anyway, but anything you want to say? Yell at me to finish making videos. Yeah, finish videos, dude. Come on. I have like two that need to get done, and I just haven't done it yet. (laughs) I believe in you, William. I believe in you. I already made a whole list of other things I want to do in the future. Yeah. I think Coolsville sucks. (laughs) Your links will be in the description. John, is there anything you want to shout out? Any. Social yes. medias, any specific videos. Maybe you want to, I don't know, shout out a random video that people should check out that has <laughs> nothing to do with anything. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. So uh, this is a little bit of a bombshell to have at the end. But uh, so I'm, I'm one of those people that's like a fan of Thomas the Tank Engine but are an adult. So I'm, I'm part of that circle. Disgusting. So if you're into that, come follow me, I guess. I know it's well. No, I'm into the old stuff when they use the models. Okay, you know, when it, fair ba- back when it was good. No, absolutely, um, I agree. Uh, so, um, and then also, also they made like a, a sister show for one year about boats, and it's kind of dark and and weird. Um, I'm kind of more into that. And on my old terrible channel that you will link, I guess, um, I did a video where I fed that show's theme song to the AI that extends songs, and I had it write like new parts to it. So I guess I guess that's something to check out. Uh, I'm also on on Twitter. I post edits and and cool pictures and stuff. And yeah, essentially, if if you like vehicles that talk, come come to me. I suppose. I just nice. refreshed YouTube. Apparently, Captain Sparkle still makes Minecraft vid- music videos. <laughs> All right, shout out to Captain Sparkle's Minecraft music video. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> shout, <laughs> shout out to 2012. Shout out to 2012. Aw, man. 
<laughs> you released it an hour ago. All right. All right. This is already my longest episode. We need to stop here. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Thank you for coming yeah. on and talking about the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. And thank you all out there for listening. Um, yeah, boy. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. I'll see you all next time, whenever that may be. And always remember, uh, dance magic, dance, dance magic, dance. Put cool that thing in something. Something cool as well sucks. All right, bye bye. Oh. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Just for you, I'm